It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning. Welcome to Executive Girlfriends Group Live, also known as Egg Live. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. It is Friday, December 21st, 2012, and I cannot think of a better topic for heading into the holidays other than food. Our guest today is restaurateur and author Kathy Seidel. And she is the author of a really, really beautiful book, and and beautiful from a whole bunch of different perspectives, uh, called When I Met Food, Living the American Restaurant Dream. Kathy, welcome. Good morning. How are you? I am doing great. And, you know, when I say this book is beautiful, I mean it in in, uh, every sense of the word. I am such a sucker for a gorgeous cover. And, Thank uh, this, you so much. Thank this cover so much. has a picture of you on the cover, and it's got a a beautiful sandwich that uh, it's just a big, looks. It's a big juicy burger. It is. It is absolutely awesome looking. Well, and then there's a pile of that. money. Yeah, there's a pile of money on the left, which is also really really good because the American restaurant dream uh, really is not complete without the money side. I spend a lot of no, time I, watching the Food Channel, so yeah, as do I, of course. No, the uh, the equation is to balance it on a scale, and hopefully the money side ends up far greater than the burger side. That's the objective. Well, great. You know, you know tough businesses, tough businesses to make money at. So, um, you know, this book was in part a how-to, um, just based on my experience going into the business, and 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 for anybody interested in restaurants in general, and then of course any audience that is really interested in in owning their own restaurant, um, I, I think it would be a fascinating read. Well, the interesting thing is we have uh, amongst the membership of the Executive Girlfriends Group, which is about 700 executive women nationwide, we have a yep. number of foodies, and we have uh, actually food bloggers, and we have we have an, a really interesting mix of people. We have people who've been in corporate uh, their whole life, many who've been in the travel industry, which is, is my background, and, of course, tons in the hospitality industry, which always has food. Uh, kind of at the centerpiece of that. Right, but, Kathy, right. before, we, before we jump into the book, I'd really like to hear your personal story. And I know your story and the story of the book itself are completely intertwined because it is a memoir. Uh, but, but, Kathy, tell us, where did you grow up and, and what role did food play as you were growing up? I grew up in just outside of Boston, um, in a suburb of Boston. And, you know, since I was very, very small, I really did love to cook. I, I, I've got to say, I was really at my grandmother's apron string. She was a spectacular cook and, and particularly a fantastic baker. And I think at a very young age, I saw how you could transform something that's kind of raw and looks like silly putty into the most beautiful crowning brioche or crowning popover, you know. And I think just the chemistry of that and, and the transformation of that fascinated me. And uh, I was little. I mean, we would cook out in her beach house in Nantasket Beach on weekends, and she'd make these wonderful family meals, and I just, I think, thought it was magical. So that was the very beginning 
for me, kind of unbeknownst to me, you know, just watching her make any sort of dough with her hands and, and the care and the love that went into it was, um, you know, I think really powerful for me. So I grew up watching her. And then my my other grandmother, my paternal grandmother, I never met, but she left a recipe box. And I think that was the only key I had to her to figure out who she was and what she loved. And she was completely passionate about food, as was my dad. She certainly transferred her passion to food to my dad. And I, I, I this this recipe box kind of unleashed it for me. So I would spend time going through her recipe box as a young, I mean, I'm saying like fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, with my mom on weekends, and, and we'd make all of Kitty's favorites. And uh, so I really grew up experimenting in the kitchen. Um, you know, I, I, I never really thought at that point seriously about uh, going into the food business. You know, as I grew a little older, I really fell madly in love with theater and film, and for many years I was a film producer. But um, I did have a dad that um, was a banker and was, as I said, you know, Kitty passed on her genes, and he was exceedingly right. passionate about food. And he wound up financing the first round of very, very successful chefs in Boston. So, you know, as a, um, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old, I was exposed to these fantastic kind of cooks that became chefs that really became the first round of Uber chefs uh, back in the 80s. And uh, wow. that was Jasper White, Todd English, and Gordon Hammersley. And my dad had a very, very keen eye for talent. And, of course, he was a lender. So, um, you know, we always said about him that he cared way more about the person he lent to than the business. Um, And he really, um, he really, he he handpicked, you know, the people, the chefs that became signature to to Boston. So I think growing up in that environment was... Can I get you to pause just for a minute here? Patty, uh, are you hearing the clicking? Uh, I don't know if she's on the phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, she I am. generally is. Are, are you hearing the clicking as she's talking? I'm not I don't hearing hear it. it. I'm talking, but I'm hearing uh, Kathy cutting out. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. Kathy, are you on a a? a I'm a not on a landline though. No. Um, but are now. you are you using a headset or a speaker? I'm using a speaker. Okay, I think so it's I the speaker that's you want me to go to cut out. Does that sound yeah. better? Yeah, and we'll edit this piece out. But um, okay. yeah, I just I just hate it. It it, it just distracts from what you're saying. And, and no problem. It's such a fascinating story that I don't want there to be that well, distraction for our sweet. listeners. Okay. All right. Great. Are are you uh, talking directly into the phone now? I am. Is that better? That is much better. Okay. okay. Great, and I, I hated to interrupt you there because you were on. No, no worries. Head. I don't. Where was I? <laughs> okay. I'm talking about dad. Well, um, let's, let's just step back just a tiny bit, and and so let's let's talk about uh, the the part about your father, uh, you know, kind of bankrolling uh, the restaurant business in okay. Boston. So, let's so I can just there. I can then, rewind then we'll, to when I was 18, 19. Exactly. So um, at the end of high school, I would say 17, 18 years old, uh, my dad uh, basically was meeting with these cooks that wanted to own their own restaurants. And as I said, he was, you know, had just a, he had a phenomenal palate himself, but also a great true passion for food. 
and um, and Lent really, you know, he was a lender and Lent in the real estate business, of course, all over the city. But he was the only banker to take a risk and to enter the restaurant business. Everybody else really shied away from it because I don't think they really understood the business. And although my dad really went to, to people with strong work ethics, um, I think he understood the business enough so that he could translate that to these very talented chefs. And uh, Gordon, Gordon Hammersley, Todd English, Jasper White, all of the uh, uber chefs of the 80s and 90s, my dad backed. And, and along with that, he, he backed you know, very, very well-known restaurateurs like Charlie Sockis, who built a, an empire out of Charlie's Saloon and Joe's and Paparazzi and um, and you know he was responsible for many, many, many of the of the restaurant deals, and I think you know created this this industry that really didn't exist in Boston at the time. So that was a huge that had a huge impact on my life. And and so you moved into becoming a film producer, and and you had this love for story and themes and settings, but at the same time this grand appreciation for the artistry of the kitchen which uh, I, I think is an interesting journey, uh, and, and you uh, describe it as uh, an adventure of, of taking you back to this whole issue uh, of food in your life. And, and at age 47, you know, you were drawn back to food. So No question, so, no question. I think I repressed what, what it for a long time. There? Uh, excuse me? What was the catalyst? Uh, you know, what happened at age 47 that, that you were drawn back to food? Well, I uh, divorced from my husband at around 47 years old. My kids were, my daughter was 12 and my son was 8. And I had been traveling an awful lot as a film producer. And um, I really felt it was an opportunity for me where I probably would best be better off staying home for for a chunk of time. And I didn't have, you know, uh, that much longer with my kids at home. So I dialed down the producing side, and actually the year I got divorced, my sister as well um, is in the restaurant business, has been in the restaurant business for 20 years. She opened a fabulous restaurant called Stephanie's on Newberry, and uh, on Newberry Street uh, about 20 years ago, uh, which was around the time that I was getting divorced, and I spent a year cooking in her food shop, and the pleasure I got from seeing people come back day after day for the food that we would cook and make so wonderful um, was just deeply satisfying in some very basic, very basic way. And Kathy, so, did um, you ever I go to culinary that, school? What? Did you ever go to culinary school? Or, or I never went to culinary school. Uh, my sister did. She went to Madeline Cayman. And she owned a catering company before she opened a restaurant. And I must say that every weekend I was in the kitchen with, with Steffi and her business partner at the time, Bob Sassy, who was a true, true genius around food. And I learned so much about making sauces and about emulsifications and about the basic chemistry of cooking uh, when they very early on started their catering company. So I really got hands-on experience in their kitchen. Uh, and they, they had a fabulous catering company for for many years and then Steph went on to um, be the chef at my dad's bank and then from there went on to open Stephanie's on Newbury and she's just about to open her third actually in Boston. Mm -hmm. So um, so we both clearly have it in our genes. But I'd say that was that had a big impact for me at a time when my life was changing at 47 and I was able to come and you know drop my kids at school, come in and cook and, and, and be in carpool line at 3 o'clock 
And as we all know, those are the most important times spent with your kids, what what gets downloaded in the car on the way home. (laughs) And um, I feel really lucky to have had that time to be there with my kids and also kind of fall in love with, with, with cooking and feeding people. Well, I think the really interesting thing is that the business savvy that you learned as a producer and, and uh, uh, my executive producer, I'm, I'm sure you guys had a chance to chat about this when she was lining you up for the program. She was a producer when I first met her uh, or worked in, in film, uh, in TV. And, and although being a producer wasn't her specific role, she did a lot of the duties that the producer did. So I'm I'm very, very familiar with that. And the coordination and, and again, that business savvy. Um, well, you know, I always really I talk about this in the book. In. I mean, I think the balance between art versus, commerce, art versus commerce is a really fascinating one. And certainly as a producer, you know, you, you have enormous fiscal responsibility. I mean, the budget right. is first and foremost. But when you're dealing with, you know, highly artistic, creative people, um, they're not always in sync. And you need to make some very profound choices that hopefully won't impact the outcome uh, negatively, but, but to find creative ways to accomplish the same things for less money. And I, I think there's really not a big difference in the, in, the, in the restaurant business, you know. You're always battling a budget. You're always, you know, battling that equation because, of course, you want the very best, but then, you know, you have to pay for it. So at the end of the day, if you want to do your art, you need to pay attention to the commerce. Exactly. No question exactly. about it. So well, that's that's what good producing is about. Uh, really, really good producing, you know, is a great creative producer who really understands the vision, but also can bring it in a little under budget. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I, I've heard so many stories of people, you know, having one career and then, you know, falling in love with something perhaps like for you from their childhood that they had always wanted to do. There, There's a, a, a classic business book uh, which actually outlines someone who uh, whose aunt made these incredible pies. And so all she had learned all of the intricacies of, you know, being a pastry chef. And all of her friends told her, you know, you need to go open a pie store. But nobody right. ever told her about the business side of it. And, th- and this book, and I'm forgetting the, the name of it, I, I, I should... Uh, Let <laughs> me know when you find out. It sounds great. Oh, it sounds I've got it on my shelf here somewhere. So, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll try to remember it before the end of uh, the program. Was, the, but, was it successful? Well, actually, yes, but not without great pain uh, because she didn't understand so many of the business elements right down to, you know, marketing and staffing and that you couldn't just do what you loved. And well, it's not enough just to make a great pie. Out. No, no, and she found that out, and, and it actually kind of destroyed her love for the baking for a while because – um, you know, she just so hated the business side of it, but it it evolved over time to. And of course, the story was the story of how you successfully take a passion and make it into a business. And I think yeah, no you, know, question. You, are, no question. you are so fortunate to have had not only your dad's perspective, very but much so. My dad, and my sister. I mean, I really, you know, my dad um, decided after years of lending to restaurateurs to take his own leap and open restaurants himself. And he really wasn't um, a great restaurateur. He was a brilliant, brilliant lender. But I learned an awful lot from his escapades in the business 
and um, and I and I learned a lot about what not to do. You know, some people are just cut out for it, and some people aren't. As brilliant as he was at understanding the business, he cared so deeply about how people ate his food, and he took it so personally that um, he couldn't separate himself enough to really uh, pay attention to what people people wanted, not what he wanted. Um, and I think that got him in a lot of trouble when he entered the restaurant business. So I learned well, an awful lot, and, and I learned an enormous amount from my sister, right. who uh, you know has had probably one of the top grossing restaurants in, in Boston for close to 20 years. And I watched her transform herself from the food shop that we did very early on you know, which was wonderful, but at the end of the day, Boston's not New York City, and right. people weren't taking bags of food to Cape Cod and to Nantucket and to the islands the way they do in New York, you know, at EAT and Dean and DeLuca. They're, they're stocking their Hampton homes, and and Bostonians just don't think like that. So um, it, there was no way to build a, a, a big business around that, and the labor equation, putting that kind of food out day after day is really, um, it, 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 it's really prohibitive. So she got very smart and decided to take that food shop and make it into a bar, and she renovated her restaurant. And the day that she did that, her numbers soared overnight. And uh, so I saw that um, from the very beginning. You know, we we fall in love with romantic notions and don't really understand what it's going to take to execute. (laughs) And and you've got to be very smart, as she's been, uh, in, in being proactive and not being afraid to make decisions even though they may feel risky at the time and, and they're a departure from what you thought, um, you know, it, it's proven very successful for her to have been bold and, and brave and, 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 and trust her gut. So she really transformed the restaurant several times over, um, you know, in, in, in the last 20 years. So I had that as a great role model. Well, Kathy, you you mentioned you know your your father again, and and you know thinking that you can go from making all the great decisions about funding great restaurants, you know, to actually being in the restaurant business. And we see this a lot in in individuals who go from corporate life thinking that they can be entrepreneurs. Or you know, I was in in partnership with uh, a, a guy who was doing venture capital funding, and I had a technology company. And you know, again, he thought he could take all of his you know, work as a board member and, and knowing how to fund businesses and become and an entrepreneur. Yeah. And boy, you know, it just isn't a good match. But I, right. I want to ask you a question because every successful entrepreneur that I know has had at least one major failure. Um, have Have you had anything that you have tried that you would consider a failure? Wow. Um You know, there's only, you know, I I bought the rights to a book uh, years ago with my business partner, a book, it's called Spartina by John Casey, and it's a really wonderful, wonderful book about a fisherman who's going through a midlife crisis off the coast of Rhode Island. And um, we just, uh, and my business partner, you should know, is a a very well-known, very well-respected Academy Award-winning cinematographer. And we just expected that in, in two seconds that we would be able to set this up and, and make a go of it. And um, although we came very close with the book, we never were able really to 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 make the movie. And, of course, we still own the rights to it, so I haven't given up yet. But we're many years later. and um, And that was an interesting lesson for me. Because I realize at the end of the day, you mentioned marketing, packaging, um, putting together a team of people that uh, really sell something. 
and I learned a lot uh, about not being able to make that happen, and that, and I still believe this that 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 don't ever take no as no because I, 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 you know people say no until they say yes, and it taught me a lot about just tenacity and 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 about you know how you pick yourself up after after things don't don't work out, and of course um, that was a great learning lesson in many ways, and I'm hoping now that. Uh, We'll see. You know, we're working on something right now, which is, which is uh, going to be a great series for HBO um, called American Gods. And uh, we'll see. Maybe once we get that up and going, we'll end up doing Spartina. So one never really knows, right? Right. Um, but right. but but always, I think you learn a lot more from failure uh, in many ways than success if you you know can keep your eyes open and 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 really analyze uh, the dynamic of, wh- of what's what's gone on. Right. And, you know, I think the other thing that is such a strong characteristic of entrepreneurs is the tenacity. And also knowing that if something isn't right at a particular moment, that doesn't mean it's not right ever. And, Absolutely. And you can pull it back out later, dust it off, and, and the timing may just be better. And, you know, who would have known how the Food Channel would have taken off, uh, you know, back when you were doing your production work? And, and you know, I never in a million years would have thought that I would spend hours literally back-to-back watching Chopped. That's exactly. And, no, but I'm fascinated no by that show. And and so, you know, it it has to be in the back well, I think of your timing mind. Is, I think way. timing is critical in anything yeah. that we do. I think we know that. I mean, you open a restaurant, that um, concept, the concept just might not work for the moment in time, for the location. You know, you need a confluence of things to come together for any one thing to be successful. And some of that is kismet, for sure it's kismet, because who knows? We, right. we are prescient. We don't know what the future is going to bring. But you, you, you need a confluence of things, you know, for something really to, 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 to take on a little bit of magic and to soar. And when that happens, it's, it's very exciting. And it's, it's also, you know, it's, it, 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 it's also rare. I mean, you know, right. these things don't happen every day. So um, you can say it's uh, any number of things, but I think you've got to have your finger on the pulse of what America needs or wants or desires. And I, I think that's true of any business. Um, and, and sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. Well, the funny thing uh, about what what you have done, and I mean funny in a, in a great way, is that uh, you know with uh, the Metropolitan Club and and what you've done with the Met Burger Bar, I I wrote a white paper for the travel industry called Dare to Differentiate, and I I cited uh, actually talking uh, and contrasting the restaurant business with what was happening in the travel industry, and how you know the burger was like the most basic thing you know when i was growing up and i'm i'm in my mid 50s now so when i was growing We're up the same age. yeah mcdonald's you know it, it hadn't even come out and you know we had i grew up in indiana and we had jim dandy which was the the first drive in where you know you, awesome. would, you would walk up to the window and and get this burger and i said you know what would have happened if if you had always had to go in and you know, just go into the restaurant where you couldn't even get carry out. Carry out was like, could they find something to wrap it up in? You know, they didn't. I know have... it was such a revolution. I mean, there's right. no question about that. And so you've taken this venerable, you know, uh, eating out concept of burgers, and and you've made it into this amazing thing of yeah. Of burger well, you know what? I really, I re- listen. I grew up 
eating at McDonald's. My dad loved McDonald's. I thought McDonald's was unbelievably brilliant the way they had them on, right. on the you know going south and north on the highway um and it was always an adventure with dad and we loved going and and i and i read a lot about ray Kroc, of course because i think he was a genius in automating the business and understanding you know how to make a better burger and how to get it out faster and the questions he was asking i think were just genius and he started as what a mix master salesman but he saw something that nobody else saw, and he saw the demand for fast food, and he saw the expansion of highways. He saw it, and he saw how how this American iconic food um, would become even more so. And I think I I I think I always thought along the way, um, wow, it would be great to have a basic burger and modernize it and 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 introduce flavors and tastes around the world. So we have international burgers, we have continental burgers. Because the world's gotten so much smaller, you know, people know what ingredients people are, are eating in Greece. You know, they, they know what uh, tzatziki is, you know, and we're living in a far more sophisticated world. And I really felt, wow, here's an opportunity to take the burger and let it fly and, and put some imagination and wings on it. And um, it's been a very, very successful concept. Well, and you're in an amazing location. In fact, I'm trying to remember if I've ever even been there because you're you're right uh, right in the middle of Back Bay in, in Boston. I'll definitely have to stop. We are on Newbury and Dartmouth Street, and it's a fabulous location, and uh, and it's a gorgeous old building. Um, so we feel very blessed to have that location, and uh, and we have you know we have five now. Um, and I started as a modern steakhouse uh, back in 1994 in Chestnut Hill. Because I, raising my kids, we would go to dinner up the street at Capitol Grill. And I felt that was a really interesting model as well. I mean, that Grace had taken that company and, and, and sold it two times over. And he was delivering a very classic steakhouse experience. And I felt, you know, and I write about this in the book, you know, at the end of the day, really, people want blockbuster concepts. They want to go to a steakhouse. They want to eat a burger. It's like, you know, wanting to watch a James Bond movie. You know, there are there are genres in food and in film. And I thought, hey, if I'm getting into this business, I'm going to I'm going to bank on on what Americans are eating and what they want to eat. Right. And I just felt I could do it better, more modern. I felt I could address what women want to eat in a way that these classical steakhouses hadn't. And I also put in a, a bar menu, which none of these steakhouses at the time were interested in doing. Uh, they probably, you know, were fearful about lowering the average ticket price or something, but I really right. felt that people really wanted to sit at a bar and not necessarily have a huge meal. And I think that was prescient in a way because certainly, you know, after 2008, 2009, all those steakhouses reevaluated, you know, having TVs at their bar and having bar food and, and the right. world certainly changed since I opened. But I also felt at the time since, you know, I opened this modern steakhouse and saw how really many more people were gravitating to the bar and they were gravitating to, to my burgers and they wanted simpler food. I think that paralleled the economy changing. And I had opportunities to both open a fancy restaurants or, 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 you know, mall concepts. And I really thought, you know, why not, why not take a meat-centric concept and do it more affordably with the burger and uh, do it in underserved locations where there were very few 
sophisticated concepts because I think what I've done is create really sophisticated environments where you feel sexy and great, but you can get an affordable meal. And I think that's a, you know, uh, that, that, that's a rare equation. Well, and I, I uh, love your logos and your, your, um, your graphics. Yeah, I, 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 uh, the graphics are uh, Chris Tenez. He's an extraordinary uh, man, and he's an extraordinary artist. And I appreciate you saying that. I, 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 I'm crazy about Chris and the work he's done for us. Well, you know, you, you point out that marketing is, is a really big piece of this. And, and I know just from my own industry where, you know, many of the people who travel uh, are the ones going to the fine dining restaurants and, and taking out clients when they're, you know, in cities like Boston. And, uh, but they're very fickle. And, uh, you know, we've all seen locations where, you know, there have been five or six restaurants in the period of 10 years. How do you battle the well, you know, I think I think a few things. I think quality is very, very important. I think you talk about the art versus commerce. Um, I think you've got to deliver quality, and that goes back to your brand. And when somebody sees your logo, what does that mean to them? But I think this is a very human business, and I think interaction between your front of the house staff and your guest is critical. That's like any relationship where you're comfortable and where it feels like home, you're coming back to. And it is a service-oriented business, and it is a people business. And we can never, ever, ever lose sight of that. Because, as you say, those pies might have been fantastic, but there's a hell of a lot more to making a, a, a concept successful. And I think it's a lot in the humanity um, and the stage that you set for people to experience moments in their lives that, that, that they share in public places. And that's what we're in the business of doing. Um, but I, I do think uh, it's a lot about it's a lot about uh, feeling special in a room. It's a lot about being recognized and taken care of. It's not unlike the way we want to feel at home. I mean, really, it's true. We want to we want to you know feel loved and cared for. And I think you've got to create those environments. And uh, and the challenge is, particularly in restaurants where you're doing 1,200 covers a day is how can you create an intimate experience where the guest feels touched and, 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 and where the guest feels like, you know, that's a place they want to come back to. And right. we're constantly and, you know, discussing it's, that. It's, it's, this is going to seem like a bit of a uh, an odd segue, but I, I want to talk a little bit about the role that technology plays in, in your restaurants because uh, a lot of our audience and, and certainly a lot of the, the women in the Executive Girlfriends group are women who have been, uh, again, in service-oriented businesses where technology and the underlying technology uh, behind those businesses is a large part of what makes that personalized service possible. So well, I think, that, yeah, they're getting better and better at um, connecting, you know, aloha to, you know, open table to facilitate information about the customer. But we've had to do a lot of that by hand. I have my staff write a card um, for what, what 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 our guests are eating, you know, what are they drinking, you know, what what are that do they do they want you close to the table? Don't you want don't they want you close to the table? I mean that's a whole art form in and of itself. And we put all that information back into open table. But 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 if um the further technology gets in connecting this information, so in other words, somebody makes a reservation and then a waitress takes an order, 
that swung into Aloha, but you have the separate information on OpenTable. If you could download what's in Aloha into OpenTable, it would give us just a huge amount of information about our guests. And information, as we all know, is power, and, 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 and it, it gives you a huge leg up. No question right. about it. Right. So, you know, I would say uh, from a business standpoint, I, I, you know, it's funny, recently I've just talked to uh, several people that are working on that piece, that connective tissue between the front of the house and the back of the house. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I think you'll see it grow and leave sleeps and bounds in the next little bit of time. I mean, listen, when I opened in 2007, when I opened in 2007, there was no open table. Right. You know, so um, it's amazing how far we've come. Well, and again, I've been working, uh, you know, I'm a technology innovator myself and have been working on marrying the travel industry to the location-based service uh, industry, which has been facilitated by the use of mobile phones and, you know, products like OpenTable as well as TripAdvisor and, and uh, you know, which is another local Boston-based business. Right. Um, well, the, know, the TripAdvisor, the Yelping, you know, um, that side of the, 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 the equation I think is incredibly helpful. Uh, you know, it's almost like having secret about, shoppers. Yeah, but what? tell me how you feel about when you see somebody uh, – do a post on TripAdvisor or Yelp about your restaurant where they maybe didn't have uh, a great experience for one reason or another. I mean, we know every people-oriented business has people that do have their off days. Um, I, I, I think that I'm really lucky to have found out that the experience was less than adequate, and I think it's an opportunity for me to reach out and contact that person if you know that vehicle allows it or not. Some do, some don't. And bring them back into the restaurant, and uh, otherwise, I would I, I I would never know what their experience right. was like. So, I I think it's it's lucky for us that we're living in a day and age where people can communicate and let you know. I mean, what yeah, their I experience think is. you point out a, a a really important point about user generated feedback, which is having that missing link of uh, an establishment being able to claim uh, that they are the proprietor, so that you can respond. Uh, you know, I have had a, a, a fairly uh, vocal battle with TripAdvisor over this because they do that for restaurants and hotels, but they don't do it for online travel sites. And I run uh, one of the largest hotel booking sites, uh, Roomsleep.com. Wow. And so if somebody has a bad experience with us and they go on and, you know, pretty anonymously but very, very publicly slam yeah. us for something. You can't respond. No, see, I think I that's not fair. the ability to, to do that. Now, I can send them a private message, uh, and I have to be very, very careful how I do my post. But I, I think as those things evolve, that being able to very publicly uh, let people know that you've not only recognized it, but that you've corrected it, and you've made good with the customer. Yeah, no, no. We, we respond to every single, Excellent. well, certainly we respond to most of them. You know, um, there's no question occasionally you'll get something that doesn't resonate as true you know, um, or that yes. feels, uh, you know, that it's just vitriolic. Um, that that being said, we reach out anyway to really just make sure that that's the case. And I think people are thrilled by and large when you reach out. They, again, they just want to be seen and heard. And uh, for me, I, I just consider it many extra sets of eyes, and, uh, and, and, it, and it's awesome for me. Um, I can't be at all five restaurants all the time. 
Uh, and I count certainly on my managers and my nightly loop to get filled in about the day, you know, what worked, what didn't, you know. Um, but I, I think it's to a great advantage for restaurateurs. And so do you have one person overall with the Met Restaurant Group that, you know, kind of keeps their eye on what's being said on social media? Because I do. You know, that, Actually, my son. I have my son. My son, my son does all my social media with me, and he and I respond to everything that uh, that we read. Excellent. Yeah, you know, everything online. I was having a conversation with the CEO of the local Better, Better Business Bureau here in, in Tampa, uh, about this because she was saying, you know, we're seeing a rise in complaints, um, you know, and, and what what is that all about? And I, and I thought, well, do you not realize the rise in user-generated comment sites that is making people feel so much more empowered uh, to complain? No question. You know, in many cases. You know, so you know, the problem is that people don't write when they have great experiences exactly. as often. <laughs> and And that's such an interesting conundrum. You know, I mean, yeah, listen, people like to complain. You know, I think it's just like human nature. And listen, when you are paying for something, when you are paying your hard-earned money for something, there are expectations. And, 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 and that's what you get for taking people's money. You've got to deliver it, plain and simple, right? But it would be really wonderful if people out there that had great experiences wrote about it. We often get letters, but they aren't online. Right. This is so interesting. They want to thank us personally, and we get letters, but, you know, few of those people, you know, those aren't the people really out there yelping. Maybe that's why it's called Yelp. <laughs> exactly. We need to come What's the counter of Yelp? We need to come up with that website. There you go. Right? This spawns another idea. So the people that have good things to say, say them. Right. Right. Well, I I am all for that because we do spend so much time uh, complaining about things, and and you know I I even tell my children, and I I happen to still have young children. Uh, I've got a middle schooler and a freshman in high school, and you know I always tell them, uh, you know, if they can't come up with a solution, you know, don't don't come talking to me about the problem. And well, you know, I think that's out. a life lesson. Um, also, which takes me back to producing, I think it's a lot about problem solving in the world. Uh, and I think being successful is about problem solving. And um, certainly in my experience as a producer, uh, it was just how are you going to make it happen? And and I feel the same way in the restaurant business. You know, how are you going to make it happen? Got to figure it out. Make it happen. Come up with solutions. Uh, no, there's, there, there's little time for complaining. It's funny. I was watching Downtown Abbey. I watched like 16 of them. And uh, Maggie Smith turns around and she says, one of the, her granddaughters complaining about something. And she turned around and she said to her, stop complaining. Complaining is so bourgeois. It was <laughs> hilarious. It was hilarious. It was such a perfect line. And the truth is, you know, complaining doesn't get you very far. No. No. no I agree completely. Great advice to the kids. Well, Kathy, in, in the last few minutes that we have together, why don't you tell us what was the catalyst of actually putting all of this down in a book? And, you know, this is a very unusual book that is kind of combination memoir and, and recipe book and, and uh, ideas. So talk to us about the book. You know, I was approached by uh, the publishers of Biblia Motion that uh, really published business books, and they came to me and said, look, we love what you're doing. We love your restaurant." 
And we love the fact that you started this business at 47 years old, and we think it would be inspirational for women. And I, and I really shied away. Although I write uh, anyway, I keep a journal, and, I, and, I, and I, I've written an awful lot, you know, for since I can re- remember. I just felt, you know, I'm mid-flight. I'm not sure that this is the time for me. And they said, you know, think about it. And they came back three months later, and, you know, I really, really think this would be fabulous. And I went home, and I started to write. And I came back to them, and I said, look, this isn't going to be a conventional business book. If you guys are still interested, this is really more a memoir. It's a lot about my legacy. It's a lot about my passion for food. Through that lens, I can certainly tell this story about how I built a successful restaurant business. But that can't, it can't be just a how-to book. And so I think it just came out of a, you know, it was very organic just from my writing um, and, and, and talking about my passion for food and where it started and then how it led to me opening five restaurants and building, you know, the Met brand. So, um, and they were game. I, I don't think they've ever done anything like this. Um, and then I said, oh, by the way, I really want to put recipes in the people that have inspired me along the way. So um, they said, fine, they were great. And uh, it is a combination memoir, how-to, and and recipe book. So it is unusual um, in terms of its structure. Well, Kathy, it has been great hearing your story. I'm, I am fascinated, and, and I, I didn't get a chance before uh, the show to read your full book, but I have got some time over the holidays, so I am looking forward to curling up with a great glass of wine, and maybe I'm going to have to put a burger beside me. Yeah, you, you, you'll get very hungry reading the book. No doubt about that. <laughs> I've heard that from a lot of people. Well, make sure you send me the pie book because I'd love to see that and, uh, and, and uh, be in touch. Well, I will make sure to post uh, the title to our Executive Girlfriends group members, and uh, I'm sure Patty will put it on our public website, which is executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. Again, the title of the book is When I Met Food. Uh, For our Executive Girlfriends group members, it is available on our book club site, and uh, it is available, Kathy, uh, through all of the normal channels, Amazon, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. Great. And uh, the subtitle is Living the American Restaurant Dream. For for those of you who are Food Channel addicts, you will love this book. Uh, If you have a secret desire to open a restaurant, I recommend that you get in touch with Kathy. Kathy, what is your website that people can come learn more about you? It is kathysidel.com. Or they can go into, you know, metrestaurantgroup.com. So either way they can find me. And S-I-D-E-L-L dot com. Exactly. All right, terrific. Well, Kathy. All right, lovely. Thank you so much. Great chat. Okay, terrific. Have a fabulous holiday. Great, you too. Take care. For more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, see www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And we will be taking a hiatus uh, for the rest of the holidays, and we will be back on Friday, the 4th of January, and we look forward to uh, seeing you again then. Have a great holiday season, and we look forward to talking with you in 2013. Take care. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.